Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you, you can find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, as we continue our study of this book and the joyful life and the will and work of God's pleasure, thus the title of this morning's message. It was the great sprinter for the United Kingdom, Eric Little, who uh, was also a a pastor and a, a missionary who would die uh, in prison uh, in China during World War II, who said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. So how would God express his pleasure in us? And what would cause him to have pleasure in you? I think the passage we're looking at, where we left off, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, is going is to give us the answer. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work, and read that last line with me, for his good pleasure. There it is. It is the good pleasure, it is good pleasure that is to God, when his good work in us uh, finds its way out of us. And really, as we mentioned last week, this passage of scripture begins with another therefore. We've been to the Mount Everest of the New Testament. We're just coming down from there. This, therefore, the antecedent to this is the passage that precedes it where he says in verses 5 through 11, in essence, he says, we need to have this mind among ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He already had it, right? But took upon the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men, born in the likeness of men. And having done so, he, he became obedient to the very point of death, even death of the cross, humbled himself to that degree. And therefore, there's the first therefore that Brad alluded to, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, right? And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord to the glory of God, the Father, and all God's people said. And now we have a therefore. Another therefore. Like the late James Montgomery Boyce said, there's no value to a mountaintop experience unless it helps us to live in the valleys. True? And Jesus Christ has given to you and me who are genuine followers of him all the inspiration we need to live humble, obedient, and self-giving, self-sacrificial lives in this world with the confidence that we'll be lifted up in the next because we're not always promised to be lifted up in this one. There's only one command in this passage, only one. Work out your own salvation. It's a little phrase that's 
comes with no small level of controversy. But it's surrounded by some very, very encouraging words. And we want to look at those as well. The first encouraging word is right out of the sheet. In verse 12, where Paul says, uh, he calls them my beloved. It's a, it's a form of the word agape. It means my divinely loved ones. And it's no wonder that he would call them that because he says in that first line, you've always obeyed. Have you always obeyed? Now he's talking generally about the church, but what a compliment. And this wasn't a perfect church, but it was a faithful church. And Paul says, I have such confidence in you. And I must say that I have great confidence in the church here at Sailorville as well. It's a general, it's a general statement. He, Paul said to the Corinthians in, another, in his second epistle, he says in chapter 7 and verse 16, he says, I have confidence in you in everything. Wow. That is a praise. And the command is what follows, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time on here because he says, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The word work out literally means to work down to the end point. It conveys the idea of serious exertion. Now, I go to the gym, but I'm about 30 years from ideal. I'm just working optimum right now, okay? But let me tell you something. When I go to the gym and I see some of these men and women and the exertion that they put forth, it's like, sometimes I just want to stop and watch them. It's so impressive. The effort they're pouring into all this. Paul says, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. There has to be genuine exertion involved. Your exertion. But as we'll see in the bad, it's not just you. It's not you exerting. God is working in you. Work out your salvation. Work it out. And you know that if you're, if, just to use the analogy that Paul has here, physical exertion, you know that if you're going to get a good workout, it's, you have to say no to certain things and yes to certain things, right? I mean, I went, we, one of our kids bought a fixer-upper and a bunch of us went down to help work around that house here just yesterday. And, I, and uh, one of my sons goes, hey, uh, you know, uh, you, what's, what are you going to do for me if you take me down there? I said, well, I'll, I'll run you by McDonald's. He said, hey, I don't eat fast food. Oh, okay, so McDonald's is bad for you now. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, he's learning to say no. <laughs> Because he's learned it's not enough to just work out, right? Here's, what, here's how Paul put it to Titus. He said, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And here's what it does. It teaches us to say no. Literally, the Greek says that. Say no. To ungodliness and worldliness. And to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present generation. So there's a, there's a no and a yes to spiritual exertion, to working out. I remember when I first became a Christian, I made a promise that I was, to God that I was going to read his word every day, and I set my alarm, and the alarm went off, and I just hit the snooze, or I think I just turned it off. And I remember laying there, and suddenly 1 Corinthians 9.27 literally popped in my mind, where Paul says, I beat my body and bring it into subjection. Let me tell you something. I sat up real quick. It's like God was talking to me. And reminded me that if I was going to 
If I was going to bring him pleasure, then I was going to have to discipline myself unto godliness. So again, now notice what he says. Work out your salvation. Please notice, he doesn't say work for your salvation. He doesn't say work at your salvation. He doesn't say work toward your salvation. He says work it out. We have enough, we have a plethora of scripture in the New Testament to remind us that salvation is not of works, amen? For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that we can't, so that we don't boast about it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is replete with those things, that God is God and God alone is the one who saves. But when God saves us, he does something within us. He places a power within us. Work out your salvation is implying there's something in there, is it not? I mean, many of you have probably quoted that passage in Ephesians. It's, you know, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. Isn't that a great passage? But have you ever read the last part of that verse? It says, according, look at it, to the power that works within us. Have you ever read that? That's the end of that verse. If you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, there is power that resides within you. And that's the power that God wants to come out and impact the world around us. There is power. God has done a miraculous, again, if you know him, He's done a miraculous work in you in order, to be, in order for you to be saved. Here's the problem, however. And this is why we have to be commanded to, to work out our salvation because there's something working against us. It's called the flesh. Your flesh, my flesh, is constantly working against us, wrestling with our spirit within us to control us, always attempting to tamp down all those holy affections God says, release my work within you. Let it out. Give my power its fullest expression in your life. But here's the deal, and listen carefully. You can't work out your salvation unless God has worked salvation in you. Did you get that? You can't work out your salvation unless God himself has worked salvation in you. And God alone can do it, right? Again, my, uh, Boyce writes, if God, if God could arrange all the stars, I just, if he, could, he said, if he could arrange all the stars so that they would write in the sky at night, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. None of you would be saved just by reading it. God has to be the one who saves you. It doesn't matter if John the Baptist is in every church it doesn't matter if, if Billy Graham's on every corner and Chuck to clean in every home. You're not going to get saved unless God himself does the saving. Salvation has to be a work of God within you before it becomes a work of God out of you. He says, do it. Now look, work out your salvation. Here's the phrase, with fear and what? Trembling. Phobos and tromos. That's the Greek expression. Phobos, you can hear the word phobia in that. And you can even hear the word tremor and tremos. 
It's, it, this was a kind of a mantra for Paul, this whole business of living life and taking on spiritual things very seriously. So when he wanted, he, when he wanted to remind himself of that or his audience, he would use the expression fear and trembling like he does here. So when he went to the Corinthians, he said, now, brethren, he said, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now watch this. And I was with you in weakness and phobos and tromos. I'm, I, that is, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Same expression here. And my speech and my teaching were not with human wisdom but a demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith might not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Good stuff. That was Paul's mantra. And the idea in this expression, fear and trembling, is the basic idea in this is that we would live our lives constantly aware in whatever we're doing, just living, witnessing, preaching, going about normal life with a constant awareness of my inability to please God in and of myself. So the word phobos is the first word. That, that's a good fear. You don't, need to, you don't need to fear things like friction that comes into your life. I, I mentioned to our staff several months ago that the, the, the difference between Friction and failure. I said, you, you need to fear failure. You ought to fear the failure, moral failure. But you don't need to fear friction. Friction can be awkward, but friction usually moves us around, moves people around, causes things to happen. We don't like it, but it's a necessary part of our lives. Failure, moral failure, that's something we ought to fear, right? And you'll never run from something you don't fear, by the way. You'll never run from something you don't fear. John Wesley said this, he said, give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin, desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. A hundred? I'll take ten. And we could do some serious damage to the kingdom of Satan if I had ten men like that. Tromas, or tramas, that's the word for Tremble, traumatic, a lot of words come out of this. It's used to describe, listen to this. This word trembling uh, is, uh, was used in the first century to describe somebody who was very anxious about not trusting in his own abilities. That's what it means to tremble. So when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying, you should be anxious about not trusting yourself. Now, we just had a missions conference a couple of weeks ago, and it was after the conference that I went to lunch with one of our own resident physicians, Dr. Tony Kopp. And Tony told me about his experience in Togo several months earlier. I, I literally sat there. I said, why did you tell me about this? I would have had you give a testimony during the conference. When this small group from our church God and Togo, they were just two hours into their trip going up the one road that leads from the south to the north, and they came onto a horrific scene. Two semis had collided with one another. 
broken and dead bodies strewn everywhere. Tony gets out of the car. He's a doctor. Go help him. But he's, you know, he didn't, trauma wasn't his area of expertise, but he's a doctor. Go over there. He didn't know what to do. He saw people with broken backs, twisted spines. One guy gets thrown into a car and whisked off. I guess that was the ambulance, he thought. A dead man at the wheel. Another dead person over here. A little baby in rags and bloodied, deceased. And he just, here's what he said to me. He said, within just a few hours of being there, I was gripped with a sense of uselessness. Who am I? What do I have to offer here? That's exactly what it means to live and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This sense of, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your ability in me working its way out of me. Remember what Jesus said to those who are his detractors? He said, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is of no help, what? At all. So there's the command. Work out your salvation. Let what has taken place within you make its way out and do so with fear and trembling. Now here's the second encouraging word. I told you that the command is surrounded by encouraging words. And this, just when you think, oh man, uh, there's a lot to fear here. Notice what he says in verse 13. This is the encouraging word. If you know Christ, it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Aren't you glad? You can work out your salvation because God is at work within you to bring it out. Now listen carefully. You're not sanctified by your good works for God. Remember this. You're not sanctified by your good works for God. You're sanctified by God's good work in you. That's how you're sanctified. If you're a Christian, it should be enough to know that God's at work in you. I mean, isn't that it? Shouldn't that be enough? But here, but God... This is the encouraging word. Paul takes it to another level. It isn't, it isn't just that God's at work in you. He's at work in you. He actually affects your affections. How cool is that? And he does more than just affect your affections. He empowers your will. He empowers your ability to do something for him. That's a good God. He's not just residing in you Oh, that's cool. He's doing something. It's God who's at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He's doing both, notice. Giving you the desire to please him and the actual power to please him. The word desire, that's the will, that's the want. This is precisely, listen to this. This is precisely where God begins in the process of changing your life. Have you ever obeyed against your will? All the time? I mean, have you ever been asked to do something you didn't want to do and and you did it? Okay, you did it even though you didn't want to do it, right? My wife showed me something I got in the mail just the other day. Jury duty. It didn't say jury delight. 
I looked it up. Jury duty is an obligation of citizenship, just like paying your taxes. Well, I don't delight in that either, but I guess I do it. Jury duty is an essential part of maintaining civic infrastructure. Most of us take for granted. As inconvenient as it may seem, jury duty is important for you and is a place to protect you from governmental abuse. Not jury delight. Jury what? Why? Because it's imposed upon me. That's why. It's imposed upon you. When God does a work, it isn't imposed upon you. It comes inside of you, and God creates a desire within you to please him. And then he doesn't stop there. He gives you the power to please him. This is so wonderful. This is great stuff. This is what, by the way, this is what Charles Stanley meant when he said, whatever I talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. True enough? But what God talks you into is yours forever. Why? Because it's come from the inside making its way out. So, both to will and to work. See that there? That's the word where we get a word energized. We get our word uh, energy. English word from this word. This is what Paul meant. Remember, I, I cited earlier his words to Titus. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to certain things, yes to others. And what does God do? He goes on to say, Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all, every lawless deed and, and set apart for himself his own special kind of people, watch this, who are zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? God is the one who not only creates the desire and the zealousy, but the ability to serve him. Augustine put it like this. He said, God makes us do what he pleases by making us desire what we might not desire, unquote. True that. And all of this, all of this is for his good, what? Pleasure. When I first came to Bible college, I, we were looking for a church, and we ended up going to a church on the south side. And we walked in, and somebody grabbed me and pulled me right in. They go, hey, youth pastor's sick. We need you to, we heard you're a theology student. Will you teach them? I said, okay. I went downstairs. The place was packed with youth. I didn't have a clue as to what I was going to say. So I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just racking my brain. I can't think of a thing to say to these kids. Nothing is coming to my mind. Even the idea of just giving my testimony wasn't coming to me. And they're going through all their announcements and everything, and the lady's talking. She goes, she goes and we have a theology student here with us. His name is Pat Nemers, and he's going to talk to us. And I'm going, I have, I didn't, I'm just thinking, I, don't, I nothing. And just, and just before she walked away from the podium, she goes, and remember, kids, God promises to give us the desires of our heart. And she walked off. And in that instant, I knew exactly what I was going to say. Because she had just taken an excerpt, an unqualified excerpt from Psalm 37, which qualifies that statement, God will give you the desires of your own heart. He does do that. If what? You delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, the psalmist wrote, and he will give you the desires of your own heart. I had 25 minutes of talking. I knew exactly what I was going to say. And I would say to you, 
that if you're going to understand what it means to please God and to, and, 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 to, and to cause him to have pleasure in you, you need to understand what it means to delight yourself in the Lord. You want to know the will of God? Delight yourself in the Lord. You want to know what direction you should take in life? Delight yourself in the Lord. You want to know whether you should begin a relationship or whether you should cut a relationship off? Delight yourself in the Lord. You want to know whether you should move to one place or another? Delight yourself in the Lord. You want to know whether you should be a part of the new church plant next year? Delight yourself in the Lord. This is how he directs us. If you want to bring pleasure to God, and know a couple of things, and we'll bring it to a conclu conclusion here. You have the ultimate example of humility and exaltation in Jesus. So follow him. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Peter put it best. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the right time, right? That's what you do. The way up has always been down, and Jesus led the way. Follow him. Secondly, you need the confidence that everything you need to bring God pleasure already resides in you. Believe this. That's what he's telling us here. And this isn't the only time we hear this. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that by his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, is that not a word of encouragement? You need to believe this if you're a true follower of, of Christ. And go with the confidence that everything you need to bring God pleasure already resides in you. Thirdly, you're powerless to please God and impact the world in your flesh. You need to acknowledge this. If somebody says, you're a natural, and it has something to do with spiritual things, run from them. Because there's nothing natural about somebody making a dynamic impact in this world. That's God in you working his way out. Amen? Don't trust in your flesh. We were talking about Togo. I remember when one of our groups went to Togo a few years ago doing some building. The guy who was managing all the building, they said, would start off every single day with the exact same pray, prayer with the same four words, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. That's where we need to be. Not trusting ourselves. That's what it, remember, that's what it means to be a trembler before God. I just thought, of, this just came to my mind, Isaiah 66 in verse 2, to this one will I look, to he who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word. The world needs to witness the power of God placed in you, but it won't if you operate in the flesh, period. The great prophet Jeremiah said, O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Have you ever read that? So don't trust your own steps. Don't trust your own heart. Don't trust your flesh. And finally, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart and the power of your actions. Begin this. That is, begin delighting yourself in the Lord, in his word, 
in prayer, in conversation, in witness, in praise. These things bring great pleasure to God when we delight in him. And I know that it's a discipline, but, it, but if it's, that is, it's a discipline to spend time with God, to, to go to his word first before you do anything in your day. It's a discipline, but I guarantee you that if this discipline will lead to delight, if you'll stay at it, with the idea of pleasing God. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, and this is my great concern for some of you right now, look at that. You can't work out salvation from you unless God has worked salvation in you. And some of you right now are kind of, that's where you're at. You, you don't, your, your affections have never been changed. You don't really have a desire. You, you come to church because com, you're, you're compelled to do so by your parents. Or maybe you're a spouse who says, you know, well, my wife likes to come, so I come with her. My husband likes to come, so I come with him. Everything is religion and not relationship. And I'm concerned for you. You can't work out salvation in you unless God has worked salvation into you. And that's only going to happen when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, really from your heart. One day, one of his, Jesus' detractors asked him, what, what do we need to do that we, that we can do the works of God? And Jesus said, here's the work of God. Believe in him whom he sent. That's Jesus. You want to know the work of God? Here's the only good work you'll ever do. Place your faith in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment, but will pass from death to life. And some of you are right there. You're still in the realm of death you're religious, but you're lost. God has not affected your affections. And when he does, when he brings true salvation, that's exactly what he does. He affects your affections. And he empowers your actions. Are you his child? You can't work out salvation in you unless God has put salvation into you. So place your faith in him. And for those of you who have, let's let what has taken place inside of us come out by not trusting in ourselves, but delighting ourselves in the one who takes pleasure in us when we do. Amen? God, thank you for our time together in your word and this little passage of scripture, so powerful, reminding us of the example that we have in your son, the Lord Jesus, that the way up is always down. Reminding us, Lord, that if you have placed your son within us, we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And with the joy and the encouragement of knowing, Lord, that it's not us just going about it on our own, but you're working in us. Changing our desires towards you 
and empowering our actions for you. Let that be true for, of us, God. Change hearts today, we pray. To you, our God, through Jesus, our living hope. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Let's stand.